in the autumn when the the like the chlorophyll leaches out of things mm -hmm. then you also have moisture yeah. and with the moisture especially with excessive moisture then you end up with a, an electron deficient condition mm -hmm. the more anaerobic it gets the more electron deficient it gets mm -hmm. so you would think oh it's not going to oxidize because it's anaerobic mm -hmm. It's going to oxidize because it's anaerobic. Go on, lead me through that one then. Okay. In anaerobic conditions, then you have an electron deficiency. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you would have it, you would see it by uh, taking water mm -hmm. and putting a nail in it. Mm -hmm. And the nail will rust. Mm -hmm. And the more anaerobic it gets ordinarily, then the more nitrification occurs. Mm -hmm. In other words, but there are microbes in anaerobic environments, especially in like your EM brews where you've got lactobacillus and yeast and phototrophs. Mm -hmm. And the phototrophs are giving off antioxidants and scavenging the nitrates and reducing them. Mm -hmm. They catch infrared and they use that for the energy to produce surplus electrons so that they are actually producing an electron. You can measure the ORP in these, the oxidation reduction potential, mm -hmm. which is a measure of the electron concentration in water. Mm -hmm. And you measure that and you have not only acidic conditions, but you also have uh, surplus electrons under those conditions with mm -hmm. those microorganisms. Mm -hmm. But in other conditions, you'll have an electron deficiency. You'll have a positive ORP. Mm -hmm. And the more acidic it gets, the more the, the ORP goes positive. Mm -hmm. And when that occurs, then you get nitrification. And there's never any shortage of oxygen because there's oxygen in water. Mm -hmm. So water becomes its own supplier of oxygen in anaerobic conditions. Uh, and are we talking about DO, dissolved oxygen, or the oxygen in the H2O? Uh, uh, no, I'm talking about the oxygen that reacts with things like amino acids to mm. produce nitrate, mm -hmm. or to produce rust, a ferrous oxide. You'll see in anaerobic conditions that you'll have streaks of iron coming out in the leachate. Mm -hmm because you're getting ferrous oxides mm -hmm. are, are moving in that stream. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're actually oxidizing organic matter and leaching the oxides of iron out of it. Mm -hmm. Not just the nitrates. Mm -hmm. But you'll get the nitrates will carry the silica and the boron with them. They'll carry the boron and along with it the silicon. Mm. So you want to flush the boron out of your soil. I mean, the silicon out of your out of your plant. It'll it'll flush it out of the linings of the xylem cells. So that here you've got uh, the first time I saw this was in it, this was the first citrus orchard that I was asked to consult for in far northern Queensland. Mm -hmm. He he brought me out to this orchard and. Uh, he was having what was called styler end rot in his limes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, 
with Styler in rot, the limes are falling off the trees. And the trees with the worst phytophthora, which is a, a sort of a disease that infects the plant up its xylem from its, uh, its fine root mm -hmm. uh, mass in the ground. And the trees that were worst affected by this had all their, tr their fruit dropping off. Mm -hmm. And wherever there was this sort of thing going on, the fruit was falling off the trees. And I asked them that I asked them what their weather pattern had been. And they had had a heavy rain after months and months of no rain. Mm -hmm. They had had a heavy rain of two inches all at once. Right, okay. And this saturated the soil. And then about a little over three weeks down the track, they were losing fruit everywhere mm -hmm. and having big, big problems with styler and rot. Well, Styler end rot is where you get this dimple in the blossom end of the fruit. Mm -hmm. But when you have fruit falling off the tree, that's your connective tissue. Mm -hmm. That's your transport vessels. Mm -hmm. That little stem that goes into the fruit is both the connective tissue and the transport vessel that, you know, fills the fruit. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that has to be a silica problem because silica is at the basis of your connective tissues and transport vessels. So I thought, well, that has to be a silica problem. The conventional research said it was a calcium problem. And I said, well, of course it's a calcium problem. It's a calcium deficiency because your transport system is no longer transporting calcium. Mm. <laughs> of course it's a calcium deficiency, but that's not the cause. Mm. The cause was the silica uh, deficiency. The problem was that the silica is not there to transport the calcium anymore. Mm. And so I cut a fruit from the blossom end all the way to the stem and open it up. And you know how your citrus has that pithy rib down the middle. Mm -hmm. That was brown. Mm -hmm. The nitrate flush that had occurred after that period of two inches of rain and it occurred within the next few days, mm -hmm. all as a flush, it scalded the transport vessels. It actually burned the lining of the xylem cells. Because of the too much nitrate. And then they no longer transmitted calcium anymore mm -hmm. because of too much nitrate all at once. Nitrate is... What happens in the drought The salt index and index of nitrate is about 100, whereas the salt index for sulfate is about 28, and for chloride for your, like, potassium chloride is about 165 or so. Mm -hmm. So you, you get, for chloride, you get a very high salt index, and nitrate's not that much lower, but sulfate is very low by comparison to those two. Mm -hmm. So sulfates don't have anything like the salt effect on things. This so they're mild salts by comparison to nitrates. When you're talking about index, what's that an index indication of? An index of their salt is their solubility. It's an oh, index okay. of that because okay. right. salt is ionized. Yeah, yeah. So if it ionizes more strongly, then you have a higher salt index. Mm -hmm. So chlorides ionize 
more than nitrates, which yeah. ionize more than sulfates. Got it. So that's, and that affects how strongly they scald or burn or scour or, you know, what effect they have mm -hmm. on the, on things like the plant cell walls and connective tissues. Mm. So the, that flush, and we dug out at the edge of the tree to look at what happened to the little fine feeder roots, mm -hmm. and they were scalded by it too. They were scalded by that nitrate flush. Right. So it scalded those real fine new root things. Mm -hmm. It burned them off. That made the infective uh, like window for the phytophthora to affect the tree and at the same time it scalded other parts of the plant's transport vessels with which that pithy rib down the middle of the fruit was was uh, a, a major important part and when that happened and the fruit fell off the tree and everything then they lost their crop. Given that's the uh, the weather, and, you know, the drought, the rain, uh, yeah. what can one do about it if that's happening? Oh, there's a lot of things you can do. First of all, if you know a rain event is coming, and sometimes the weather forecast gives you a clue, mm -hmm. then you can apply physically. You could put out a brief irrigation with 505 and 508 in it. Mm -hmm. uh, if it catches you unawares, then you can take the map and do it with your radionic instrument from mm -hmm. inside the house while it's raining. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also apply an EM solution because you're applying then the bugs that know how to live in that environment and to sop up that uh, protoplasmic uh, broth you know that is EM released. Is. Effective, Effective microorganisms. Yeah. yeah, that that they'll sop up that that broth that is flushed into the soil by the hydration of everything that's going on in the soil that had dried up for so long. Mm -hmm. So you can uh, approach it from the microbial point of view with a microbial culture. Mm. You can also, you can, what I recommended that these people do, because they were herbiciding and it was absolutely clean and bare under all their trees mm -hmm. and I said you've got to mulch those trees to keep your soil biology alive so it doesn't dry up mm -hmm. and that made a big difference because uh, well just simply because then they had a robust ecosystem that could absorb that and mm -hmm. it didn't go you know yo-yo like that yeah, yeah. but even John Priestley who had he would get nitrate flushes just because of his peas that would die down. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, he would take my famous friend, Pokeberry, Inkberry, mm. and make a ferment of it and spray it out, and it just completely sort of neutralized the nitrate flush. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it would... It would because nitrate and potash goes so together, and because that particular plant, you look where it grows, it'll grow outside your barn, it'll grow where you've had a burn pile, mm -hmm. it'll grow where nitrate and potassium get together. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it likes that condition, 
it's actually thriving there. It knows how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So it's also, it's not only very good at, uh, at converting nitrates, but it's good at utilization of potash too. I think that's so, the main thing is so it's high he, potassium he level. He believed that what it did was it allowed the potash mm. to fill his fruit mm -hmm. and make his citrus sweet and delicious at the same time that it controlled the nitrates. And you, you did this by taking your favorite you friend. You up the plants and put them in yeah, a barrel with water and fermented Everything but the roots. Right. Yeah, and he did year round. He told me three times a year he would have these big vats that he would throw in all the Phytolac was the Latin name of poke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There they call it inkweed. Indian poke weed, I've heard. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The so Constitution of the U.S. was written in pokeberry poke ink. <laughs> so they call it inkweed in, in Australia. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But so uh, uh, does he have a theory as to why? Because, uh, okay, the poke weed when it's growing can d deal with these conditions. Uh, but why putting it into a barrel and making the juice and then spraying it will teach, for want of a better word, other plants to do it? Uh, was, what, has he got a theory for uh, that? Do you know? I don't know if he had a theory. He just yeah, he just he just had observer. observed oh, okay. that where he grew in his orchards, he didn't have those problems. He didn't have a nitrate flush. See, he he does a green manure crop mm -hmm. in his in his groves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a cowpea that he grew. Yeah, that. Uh, at the end of its growth and it died down, mm -hmm. then it would release this burst of, of, of amino acids that would nitrify mm -hmm. and cause a nitrate flush. Mm -hmm. And then it starts That's not the only place that you see it. And you get, uh, a, little get like a little blue-green on the leaves, mm -hmm. and yeah. that was an yeah, indicator, and he'd just go his spoke, get his spoke ferment and mm -hmm. yeah. spray it out and like that. I saw that in Heinz's persimmons. And I'm asking Heinz, where is all this nitrate coming from? Well, Heinz had not put any nitrogen fertilizer on. What he had was Wynn's cassia, which is a winter legume. It's a, it's a uh, medic. Mm -hmm. And it volunteered and did a great job of growing. And then it died and all of a sudden released a whole bunch of nitrogen. And that showed up in his leaves and I'm noticing it because the leaves had kept kept expanding. They were they were big like this, and they were actually expanding in the middle still mm -hmm. and puckering. Mm -hmm. And the color and everything else about it. I'm saying, wait a minute, where is all this nitrate coming from? You've been putting nitrogen on this, and no, 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 I haven't put any on. And and he hadn't. It was coming from the breakdown of his volunteer cover crop hmm. of uh, the Wins Cassie, Wins Winter Legume. And so it's a very, very similar thing to what, uh, what John had seen in his citrus. It's, it's a real, like, uh, thing I'd really like to teach farmers. That's what brought us over here was I showed these guys over in Holland how you can just look at it and tell. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to Stefan Zimmerman, uh, uh, Timmerman. Timmerman. I'm talking to him. We went out, we're, we're at, in his uh, uh, 
in his farm patch. And I'm saying, look at this, you know? I, I showed him, for instance, in his garlic, how it was boron deficient and silicon deficient. And we dug down his very sandy soil. We dug down to about this deep, mm-hmm. and there was a hard layer there. Well, there had been some grass in the area that's roots had gone down all the way down there, and I'm looking at this grass root that's up against this la- this hard layer, and I picked the root up and I did like this, and it stretched like a rubber band, and I said, "Oh, that's where your boron's gone, is it's down there? Mm-hmm. It can't leach through that area, so it leached to it and stopped." And I showed it to him, and he's, you know, he's doing this, and he's looking at it, and he's seeing. You know, the signs are there if you know how to read them. It's like nature's an open book. Open secrets. (laughs) Yeah, it's not concealing itself at all. Mm. But when you don't know the language, well, you don't know. You told them something biodynamically, which they applied, talking about biodynamic research. Yeah, Um, this was in uh, something like Greenhouse Tomatoes. And they they were uh, having trouble getting calcium into the plants. Mm-hmm. These people do sap analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they developed a really lab. like uh, cutting edge yeah. sap analysis uh, a laboratory technique. These are the people who've got a Scottish branch. You're going to yeah, see. that's right. They 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 worked for the Scottish people. Used them, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's the it largest asparagus grower in Europe. It's developed mm-hmm. into them inviting mm-hmm. us over here to the UK. Mm-hmm. So I get to go up there and give them a three-day course and whatnot. I don't know what I'll see. Yet. I really don't have that much information mm-hmm. from them. But go ahead and tell them about the BD remedy because they just yeah, jumped well, on it, man. That was amazing. So I said, well, you ought to try this, 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 and this. Which you was? Know? And when it came to putting out the individual preparations. They got preparations because Stefan was hooked up with the biodynamic group there. So he got preparations from them and interestingly enough uh, they tried these things in combinations and between the 503 and the 501 Mm they had the highest increase in calcium in the plant that they had ever seen. Nothing they had ever done had come close Mm -hmm. to raising the calcium levels in 24 hours in the plant so much. Mm. They had something like tripled or sextupled or something, some really like huge increase. Mm -hmm. They'd never seen anything else that did it. And here it was just this little bunch of stuff that they stirred up and put in their irrigation system. Mm. And it's so nice because they actually are equipped to do follow-through research with mm-hmm. the sap analysis mm, absolutely. of the plants. Yeah, so yeah no, they, they, they had the before and after, and they knew that, yeah. wow, mm. we put this little preparation business in there, and shazam, look at the increase. Mm. That's and why I want you to teach an advanced biodynamic course, because those little tweaking... Not everybody understands, you know. It's mm. like let's just throw this out here once, and that's mm. that. Never use this as as the medicines that they are. Mm. And um, no, that's was really brilliant, and it probably made a big difference in their commercial viability. Well, 
we're going to see because I, I don't know yet what's going to happen when we uh, go to Scotland. Mm. I never know. I, I'm just right there and I see what I see and then it just develops out of that. Mm -hmm. I wonder I mean, when you, when, when Peter Escher showed up at your farm, you know, I mean, I remember because I was there and you look at this guy and he looks down and you're, you know, a quarter of a mile away and he looks down and he tells you what's going on with your farm. But now we drive by highways, and he says, oh, man, they're over nitrating over there. And they could just look yeah. at the mm -hmm. color mm -hmm. and say, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if you ever considered, as a young man, when Peter did that, that you'd ever be able well, to I, do I, that. I asked him. I said, how could you tell? He had told me, you know, turn the corner on the field, looked at it. He said, you plowed this too wet. And uh, and I didn't know how. How could you tell? Hmm. Oh, well, years of here, here we are down in the field, and he just picked up a dirt clod and threw it and hit another dirt clod, and neither one of them broke. And he said, you see? And <laughs> At our advanced courses, the first session is observation. Mm -hmm. Observation, because that's like, I think all farmers, good farmers, are observers. They have to be. Well, he was one hell of an observer. I must hand it to him. Go ahead. Well, you've got, to, you've got to observe, but then to bring it to consciousness and ask the right questions of your observations and and to, uh, especially to take them to the stage of, and therefore, mm. what do I do? Okay, the two sods don't bust up. What's my problem? Well, I'm looking at uh, Stefan's garlic, and it's limp. The You know, the, mm. the, the leaves are all lying down and whatnot. Mm. And... I'm telling him, look, you've got a boron and the silicon deficiency. And so he put this product he, the, that he had from Nutritech, mm -hmm. which was dialyte, and it has boron and silicon in it. Mm -hmm. One of the ones he helped And it has boron in it because I lectured to uh, Graham's agronomists, and I told them the connection between boron and silicon, I explained it to him, and Joel Williams, who's here in the UK to, uh, mm -hmm. presently, mm -hmm. Uh, Joel asked me, well, shouldn't we put boron in our dialyte? And I said, well, if it isn't in there, then you ought to put it in there. Mm -hmm. And so Graham, in his interesting way of doing this, oh, we should put boron in there. I wonder how much. And he took out his pendulum and doused for it. And it turned out in a thousand liter uh, shuttle, he put in 10 kilos of boric acid. Yeah. Which is okay, that's more dangerous. than I would have thought, but, yeah. but it had it with the silica. And I've mm. known this for some time because where you've got the silicon, it's working with the boron works with the silicon. Mm -hmm. If you have too much boron, the cure is to add more silica. If you have too much silica and it's not working, the cure for that is to add boron. Mm -hmm. If you are going to raise one of them, then you need to raise the other. And the dialyte raised the silicon, so it needed... It was more. Bo it was surprised me how much he came up with. So mm -hmm. when you did the but garlic, it really worked. So when you did the garlic, when Stefan, we've seen oh, that. Stefan sent me pictures that he had applied dialyte. This is after I got back to the states, and he sends me the picture. He says, "I put dialyte on my garlic. Now look at this." Big robust. I'm standing up. Mm -hmm. Here it was lying down limp. It didn't have any hope of ever standing up. You would have thought that those leaves were done forever. 
Mm-hmm. But he was at least standing pressure. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it sat pressure, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, sure enough, you start to draw that up even through those limp leads, well, and they start to I straighten up, and they all straighten up all the way to their tips. This mm-hmm. leads to a really big question. <laughs> I mean. Most biodynamic farmers, do they consider the biology and the chemistry of the biology, or is it just straight? Just, do you know what I mean? Because look how much was gained by these people that know biodynamics hmm. just by understanding something they've never looked at. And which which of the remedies, I call them remedies, um, addresses bo- uh, boron, for instance? 506 addresses boron. Horned clay will do address boron. Uh, and with the silica, then I found that the 508, the horsetail, will address boron with silicon. You never see horsetail that isn't just stiff as. I mean, it stands up. Mm-hmm. And to understand where boron's coming from is a real big piece of this puzzle. So let me explain that. Boron is not created in solar fusion. Boron occurs as a result of cosmic ray spallation. I need that word unpacking. Ray spallation. Cosmic ray spallation. Cosmic rays are whipping through the galaxy from out in the furthest reaches of beyond Mm -hmm. and they are achieving uh, speeds equivalent to to your uh, cyclotrons and linear accelerators. Mm -hmm. So they're 10 billion electron volts or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they're coming in at great speed. Most of these are protons. Okay, so by far the vast majority, 99 point something percent, are protons. So they're... Can they also be called alpha particles? Like alpha oh, alpha particles are helium nuclei. So, so they're they're considerably helium is is uh, is also uh, and cosmic ray particles can be helium nuclei, mm-hmm. but they're like two tenths of a percent of all of the, and then other things are even less. Mm-hmm. I'm to go back to the word spallation. But I still don't okay. hear that. Here's what happens though. Here's a proton, and it comes through the Earth's atmosphere. It may hit atomic nuclei up in the atmosphere. And that's one of the things that happens that uh, causes things like carbon-14 and various other things like that to occur in the atmosphere. But a lot of them penetrate... So that's fusion, we're talking. No, no, it's, it's... an impact that yeah. causes shattering of the atomic nuclei and so forth. And it may cause fusion and mm-hmm. it may not. Mm-hmm. In other words, it may stick in the uh, nucleus, but mm-hmm. it's still going to cause the ejection of other particles. Okay. Okay? So you will get fission and fusion occurring from, from the cosmic ray spallation because when it hits the nucleus then bam it knocks things loose as well as, uh, as joining up mm-hmm. 
but what will happen then is it'll come on and it'll penetrate the surface of the earth it may go into the rocks on the earth for several meters before it ever hits an atomic nucleus mm -hmm. but eventually sooner or later it hits something and then it shatters that whatever it is and in that process then uh, lithium and beryllium and boron are created they don't occur in the solar fusion okay so what so happens then is hmm. inside a rock where you have this happen and you generate a little bit of boron inside the rock then it's stuck in the crystal lattice structure there in other words it if whatever it does it's going to join into that crystal lattice structure mm -hmm. and it's going to become part of it it's fused in the rock mm -hmm. as the rock weathers eventually it will come to the surface and then it will be freed and it will it will activate and be part of the soil biology and you have microorganisms from archaea on up that sort of chew away at the surfaces of soil particles and when you look at clay particles then they release things better than sand particles because they've got a lot more surface to volume area I mean ratio mm -hmm. a higher surface to volume ratio so you get a lot more weathering off the surfaces of clay particles than you do off the of sand particles for the same volume of soil mm -hmm. but as long as you've got those microbes that sort of like draw off of the surfaces of these particles you mm -hmm. look at where where horsetail grows and it'll grow in sandy gravelly soils and whatnot and it's great at getting silica loose mm -hmm. from the surfaces of soil particles in that process it's always getting into tapping into fresh supplies of boron mm -hmm. if you take a, a soil sample let's say of of say a rock like freshly crushed granite or basalt mm -hmm. you're surprising sometimes how much borons in it you get 15 20 or more parts per million boron in the soluble test on those things mm -hmm. because it's there locked up in the rocks mm -hmm. but as soon as you start to weather it the boron is, a, is the first one that's lost it really affects flavor too it <laughs> does it does affect flavor Probably. old timers in Union County Georgia when they salted their their pork like their bacon ham and whatnot in their uh, salt cures some of them depending on who they were would put a little borax in it mm -hmm. and that was some of the best ones with the tastiest hams and whatnot were the ones that put borax in it I never knew that. Carl found that out working at the folk school. <laughs> Carl. Carl Mayhew. Oh, Carl. I thought you said Carl. Anyway, well, go Carl ahead. did. Yeah. So that's where I learned it. But it's like... Oh, Those are the cosmic rays uh, that Steiner <laughs> talks about. It's sort of... Hmm. Well, you look at where boron is, and it's right above aluminium. 
in the periodic table. Aluminum so, for those people listening yeah, to this under yeah, another language. Yeah, but it's also available from the clay particles in the soil. Their their principle in locking it up or providing release when it's all been leached out. And, you know, a new boron shows up from the release, the breakdown of clay particles in the soil. Mm-hmm. So it's it's locked up as a as a part of the clay. And whatever Steiner's perception of this, then he said basically that if it weren't for clay, then those silica forces mm-hmm. that are rising from within the earth upward into the plant would bypass the plant. But the plant takes up the those silica forces mm-hmm. into the plant because of clay. Mm-hmm. Well, boron is the principal reason that it does this. Because here's, here's silicon. It's got four uh, reactive electrons, mm-hmm. just like carbon does. And so it'll form four bonds. Mm-hmm. Here's boron. It only has three. Mm-hmm. So when boron, which attaches to silicon quite readily, Mm-hmm. In the, the xylem cells, it's leaving an unreacted electron, an electron that's sitting there trying to do something. So boron's essentially stirring up the lining of those xylem cells and making them thirsty, looking for electrolytes. Mm-hmm. And as the evaporation is taking place in the leaf, it keeps drawing the sap upward in the plant. Mm-hmm. And the more boron, then the more strongly it draws it up in the plant. Mm-hmm. If it draws it up too strongly, we put too much in one of our zucchini crops. We put too much boron in the soil when we planted. And we burned the leaf tips on the zucchinis. Mm -hmm. Here they're coming out of the ground and they're getting their second and third leaves and the the leaf tips are burning. Mm -hmm. One of the things Hugh made me know is whenever you apply boron, you do it with humates. Very yep. important. Yep. Well, we were a little incautious and got too much boron too early in the plant. So we took some of those leaves. We wanted to find out. We sent them to the lab for analysis, and they weren't high in boron. They were high in sodium. The boron had drawn the sodium up and pushed it out the leaf margins, and it burned the leaves. Hmm. The boron was in the xylem cells. It lodged in the xylem cells, and it kept pulling the electrolytes through the plant and pushed the sodium out the leaves, and that burned them. Could easily get lost. You want to find something that is essentially recyclable material that's rich in boron. Look at your craft paper boxes. Mm -hmm. They're made from the xylem of the tree, Mm -hmm. and they're turned into cardboard boxes Mm -hmm. and if you digest them down then you'll find you have a high boron uh, compost Mm -hmm. and Ken Carapidus was getting his compost off of that guy that was doing the earthworm composting. Or like was recycling cardboard. And he ended up with three and four parts per million boron in his vineyard. But I do wonder because quite often with cardboard (laughs) boxes they'll spray them with boric acid as an anti-pest 
treatment. I don't know if they did that or not. I'm just curious. I don't think so. Okay. I think that Vissi or uh, whoever was making those boxes in uh, in Australia was just putting together that craft paper with glue and making those corrugated boxes. And these people were running it through a shredder and feeding it to their earthworms mm. and creating earthworm compost and he was using that as the compost for his organic vineyard. Mm -hmm. And he was ending up with well, actually they were getting high casting. levels of boron. They were getting earthworm casting. The, yeah. yeah. Not yeah, compost, but, but well, no, they were getting the earthworm. They had these things in big nets, mm -hmm. and as it worked through the mesh in the nets, they had balls like this, okay. and it was called earthworm castings. But it was what worked through. It passed through the earthworms, so way. you could call it castings. But it was earthworm composted cardboard boxes. Yeah. Hmm. The very clever Greek man. The, in fact. I just wrote about him in our newsletter and um, declared they do vineyard after being grape growers <coughs> and went organic almost right away. And they called you in, I guess, 2009 was the first time you visited with them. I was visiting... Uh, yeah, no. I was, I was visiting... Uh, Helen and Hugo. Helen and Hugo. And these people called Helen and Hugo. And Helen's talking to him on the phone and she said they had come to... Yeah. Melbourne to see the footy at the MCG. <laughs> and, I am recording, so I don't want too many details. Okay, on this. well, they had they had done that, and here's these these guys. They showed up, and uh, and Helen says, "Well, he's right here. You can talk to him." And I started to talk to him and told him about total tests and so on and so forth. And so they said, "Well, could we come by?" And we, you know, so they came by and we had a good big chat, and then they did soil testing with me. Yeah. And we went over and, and yeah. went to the vineyards and put up a Yeah, and they went organic having talked to me on their way to the MCG. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's... Oh, hold on. And they, they 